Welcome to The Pick. I'm Colin Westman, and I'm joined by... John Otney. And Sean Lemmy. And it's been a few weeks since we did one of these episodes of The Pick. The podcast where each week we pick a movie, watch it, and then just talk about it. Because that's the power of The Pick. Uh, Because... These last few weeks, it's been Shocktober, which means every day we're reviewing a horror movie, because uh, that's that's the rules. Just like there are rules to the pick, there are rules yeah. to Shocktober. Everything we do, it's all about the rules. Yeah, well, otherwise we get lazy and we don't do anything. <laughs> Can we have shirts that say, that's the power of the pick, on the back it says, it's all about the rules. <laughs> <laughs> It's all about the rules. Doesn't quite have the same. It's our, it's our new slogan. Our like, secondary slogan. Yeah, that's why it's the secondary slogan. It's not quite as good, but you know, we're just making something. You know, there's the Trump hats, and there's like the Andrew Yang math hat. We need to, we need to make a, a shirt that's just like follow the rules for all the centrists out there that can't make up their minds. <laughs> yeah. Should we get into the little picks first? I honestly kind of wanted to hear your guys' cold takes on Joker since I saw that you guys saw it uh, a week or two ago. Oh, yes, 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 yes. What'd you you think of it? I haven't seen it, and I don't really plan on seeing it. I think you'd be fine not seeing the Joker. I don't think it is a movie that will go on to be remembered as an important film, which was Mm -hmm. like kind of the hype leading into it, that this was the breakthrough, uh, you know, superhero cinema finally transcends uh, its campy origins and becomes uh, art house. Uh, But we all knew that wasn't going to actually be the case. It wasn't going to (laughs) be Todd Phillips that changed the world. The mastermind behind yeah. old school. I mean, as yeah, and as for the movie itself, it's it's fine. It looks good. The acting's good. The story is not that interesting. The Joker's transformation isn't really that interesting. He starts out as a messed up guy. He ends up as a messed up guy. It's not really a lot of surprises in the mix. Uh, something I always bring up is I, I don't remember if I brought this up to you, Colin. You know that sequence uh, that's in all the trailers where he's dancing down the steps in his Joker makeup? Mm-hmm. Do you know what song he dances to when that happens? Is it Rock and Roll Part 2? Yeah. I only so, know that because I was listening to the film spotting review of it yeah, earlier yeah. today. So, uh, pedophile song also doesn't work at all. <laughs> no. They have to fade it out and, and bring in their like lame, you know, cello music and why not just go with the, the cello the music the whole way it makes way more sense hmm. i said a do 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 like we're watching a sports movie from the 90s yeah it does sound weird overall i, th- I thought it was fine it was okay it, it, it was not nearly as controversial as i thought it would be 
Mm. Yeah, it has nothing to say. It's that's <laughs> the most upsetting part to well, me. It's like it's one of those things where it tries to say everything and in turn really says nothing. Yeah, it's it's sort of interested <laughs> in critiquing uh, capitalism and it's sort of interested in critiquing mental health uh, and, and the institutions we have in place to help people who are struggling with mental health issues. Um, but it has it has no ideas. It, it's just, <laughs> It's just like it, it's so detached from reality, and it has uh, no. Yeah, it's just it's just suffering. It's just what if what if someone was crazy, and then everyone was mean to him, and then he got even crazier and meaner. Wouldn't that be mm-hmm. cool? Maybe, <laughs> but it's not. It's not even like the dance scene. I feel like it's almost like the movie's trying to make him cool. Like he, that's the first yeah, time he's like in his like, full suit cool. and makeup. I feel like it's like we're making an iconic movie moment right here. But then, like right after that, he's like, Whoa! and he has to run away from the police. <laughs> yeah. Well, he's not very intimidating. It's hard to imagine he'll become a uh, a villain that you know would go up, you know, head to toe with Batman. But like Todd Phillips has said, it's like, oh, this could be like a guy who inspired the actual Joker, though. Like we don't really even know. Yeah. I feel like the answer to any question you have about this movie is, well, we don't really know, though, do we? <laughs> I don't think they know either. Yeah, they do a, a few, like, uh, switcheroos where it's, you they present something as if it happened, and then later, like, it didn't actually happen. You know, some fight club or shit. Or did it. And then it's like, couples. yeah, it, it just throws the whole movie into question. So fight Club yeah. set it up perfectly. <laughs> well, I like Fight Club a lot it. more. Yeah. Yeah. As long as we're doing cold takes, I also said Gemini Man. I guess that can be my little pick. Um, Is it your little pick? Sure. Okay. Um, Gemini Man is a story about um, the world's best assassin. Uh, decides to retire because he almost misses a shot, and it doesn't. It doesn't work out because. The government wants to get him because um, they think he knows too much. So instead of retiring, uh, he has to face off against an assassin sent to kill him. And that assassin is also Will Smith. Pretty cool, right? Eh. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's been done. Yeah. Also, yeah. like, I don't. I feel like Will Smith's got to. He's got to come back in a big way, eventually, instead of doing like half-baked stuff like this, where it's like, okay, he's he's still coming out with sort of blockbusters, but it's just like a, a pretty whatever premise. The uh, and that's the funny thing about this movie is you'll you'll hear like. It's like it's the first thing a lot of people want to talk about. The script has been kicking around since the '90s. It's this ancient script. Mm-hmm. Um, the John was telling me it was originally a Harrison Ford movie. That's what it was kind of pitched as: is what if uh, the president from Air Force One fought Indiana Jones? <laughs> um, but that sh- it's not it's not good. Maybe it would. Maybe there's just been too much stuff in this vein since you know 1996 or whatever. Um, but it's it's not a very interesting story. Uh, but what I like about the movie 
is the action scenes uh, and just the amazing technology on display that makes them possible. I mean, uh, Will Smith gets in a couple brutal hand fights with Will Smith, and it's really convincing. Um, there's really only a few shots I remember uh, feeling like this was really fake looking and um and it helped that i got to see it in 3d and in a high frame rate um which i know is something that a lot of people find off-putting because it doesn't look cinematic uh, but it does look real cool it's just different and uh and i'm intrigued to see uh this technology uh continue to be used uh, i feel like it will become more and more mainstream as time goes on uh, because the sort of technological visionaries all like it you know Peter Jackson's into it uh, James Cameron likes it now Ang Lee has done a couple movies this way too I guess I'll just keep things rolling with more cold picks because uh, I don't know I guess we've just been watching all these Shocktober movies I haven't had much time for anything else but uh mm-hmm. This is like a week or two ago, I finally caught up with Hustlers, which, uh, you know, I guess like the Joker is is kind of in a Scorsese vein, like people keep comparing the Joker to King of Comedy and, uh, what's the other one? Taxi Driver. Taxi Driver. <laughs> that's that's the, the little obscure flick I was thinking of. He literally uh, then, does the thing where he puts his finger up to his head like a gun and fires. Wow, cool. <laughs> and then, uh... Hustlers is like definitely in the uh, like Goodfellas casino, uh, Wolf of Wall Street <laughs> vein, where it's like a true story, but kind of like told looking back on it, uh, while you get the voiceover of the like the main character who lived through it, and like seeing this kind of like just whole crime scheme unfold, but also like you know get out of hand and sort of doom the characters ultimately although it's not that bad in this movie because like all the characters kind of get away with it and don't really have to do much jail time i mean they do get caught it's just like only a few of them do any jail time um is this a based story it is it's it's based on an some magazine article that was published a, a few years ago um about these strippers in New York City who, um, you know, were, were very successful at this one particular strip club because there was just, like, tons and tons of Wall Street people coming in and just spending loads of money there. And then the financial crisis hits in 2008, and then the strippers are just either, like, finding other work or just, like, down on their luck, and then... They they go about I don't know concocting these others like means to get people in the club and getting their money, and eventually they start like drugging Wall Street guys and like taking their credit cards and maxing them out and basically stealing from them without them knowing, um, which you know makes them very rich but also you know it it eventually gets out of hand and it catches up with them and uh stars uh constance Wu and also uh jennifer lopez's 
maybe as good as I've ever seen her. Not that I've seen many Jennifer Lopez movies, but uh, she's she's really good in it. Um, that, I mean, definitely, it, it reminds me of like Matthew McConaughey and Magic Mike, except you know if <laughs> if he was like actually an integral part of the plot instead of kind of like just an overseer of everything else that's happening. Like she's kind of driving the whole scheme. Um, and yeah, everybody in it's having lots of fun. Cardi B and Lizzo show up. Uh, also, like, there's a few actors in it I have not seen in a long time, like Mercedes Rule and Frank Whaley. <laughs> That's kind of fun, also. Wow. But who yeah, is your, who is your favorite hustler? My favorite hustler. Yeah. Yeah, that's probably just J Lo. Nice. Is she like the Robert De Niro of this movie? Um, pretty much, yeah. She's 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 the mama bear. <laughs> when does this take place? Uh, yeah, like late two thousands. Okay, maybe early twenty tens is when it ends. Anyways, uh, John, yeah, good times. <laughs> Came out like a month and a half ago. Uh, John, what's your little pick? My little pick was in preparation for this podcast. Um, I read It Came From Ohio, the official autobiography of R.L. Stein. <laughs> <laughs> First published in 1998, and then um, they added, he added, R.L. Stein added stuff in in 2015. So it pretty much has everything you need to know. The, the downside to this book, because I th- overall I enjoyed it. The downside of this book is that it is written much like his other books for children. <laughs> Uh, so it's like 190 pages, whatever, his whole life. Hell yeah. And like a, a, an example of maybe like how a, a sentence would be written. He talked about like, my friend Dave was funny and smart. He thought I was funny and smart too. So we were friends. <laughs> and, it, and it's there's a lot of details. We're like, I'd love to know more about that. I feel like you're kind of glossing over something important. <laughs> and there's nothing in it that's really dark or tragic. or not, He doesn't really go into any setbacks, which I'm sure there was plenty of. Because it sounded like he really struggled for a long time as a writer uh, in the 60s. I, I, could, I could give you guys like the whole life of Arnold Stein right now or I could just give you highlights would you guys I mean did you really get the whole life you only had 190 pages yeah, I got the like whole life I think you can give me highlights though I'll probably ask for some more details while we're um, talking about this I'm sure very faithful autobiographical R.L. Stein movie so he's from Columbus Ohio Bob Lawrence Stein Jovial Bob Stein as he went by through most of his career. Well, already that's a deviation from Goosebumps 2, but oh well. There's plenty of deviations. Goosebumps <laughs> 2 is a lie. Oh, man. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, well, you know, not to jump ahead to Goosebumps 2, but also it's bizarre in Goosebumps 2 that it's played by Jack Black because he, like, well, shouldn't he be, like, so much older? <laughs> the real R.L. Stein's in his 70s. Yeah. I mean, also, so, like, Jack Black's looking pretty good in these movies. Like, he he actually looks like he could be in his late 30s or something. He doesn't. Yeah, he doesn't look 50. Uh, so, yeah, some highlights. Um, my favorite part of the book was when Arlstein was struggling, just eating, like, bologna sandwiches every single day, living in New York in the 60s. And he had a string of weird jobs. His passion in life was to write comedy. 
he always loved comedy. He did comedy like zines. He loved Mad Magazine as a kid. That was always mm. what he wanted to do. Uh, but in the 60s, he wrote like uh, – he talks about he wrote for a financial magazine that he got fired on the first day because he didn't know anything about any of that kind of stuff. <laughs> he wrote for a, a, a magazine about soft drinks. And my favorite is he wrote for like a Teen Beat magazine where they asked him to make up interviews and then publish them like they're real. So if anyone out there has a 60s Teen Beat magazine where Arlstein interviews the Beatles, I'm sorry to say that it is false. <laughs> Arlstein did not actually meet the Beatles. I'm so mm. sorry. I hate to be the one to break that to you. And then his big break was he got a job at Scholastic. And he did that for like over 10 years. That's, that was, he said that was his dream job. So he figured that was what he'd be doing for the rest of his life. And if you're wondering what a job at Scholastic is, I uh, I took a screenshot because I was reading it on um, ki- the Kindle app on my phone of uh, what a Scholastic writer does. And I don't want to waste too much time, but I thought this was kind of funny. So this is like directly from the book. So he says, here are a few things I wrote during this part of my life. 80 bubblegum cards for a funny card series called Zero Heroes. Two computer magazines for kids, even though I didn't own a computer. <laughs> Indiana Jones and James Bond Find Your Fate books with 25 different endings in each book. G.I. Joe adventure novels, even though I didn't know a rifle from a golf club. Mighty Mouse and Bullwinkle coloring books. Hey, somebody has to write the words at the bottom of the coloring book pages. I received $500 per coloring book, and I wrote two a day. Not bad. And many, many joke books. Yeah. And he was doing that. He was in a good groove. He did. He did. He did dabble in a little television at this point too. He was the head writer on Allegra's Castle. Do you guys remember that show? I think so. With puppets, it was kind of like a fantasy puppet show. It was on Nickelodeon, Nick Jr. Mm. Uh, but his transition into horror was uh, some some publishers like, "Hey, I like your writing style. Have you ever thought about writing horror for kids?" He's like, "Oh, I like horror, sure." And he wrote the Fear Street books first, which are more for older kids. It's usually like, my babysitter's a ghost, or like, I can't trust my babysitter, or my boyfriend's a ghost. You know, it was like a lot of like, it was a lot of uh, girls in trouble kind of um, stories with like stalkers and stuff. There's an autographed copy of a Fear Street book in my house. I don't know the story behind it. I should have figured that out. Uh, and that was like the late 80s and then early 90s that they're like oh why don't you write something for for younger kids and then he wrote goosebumps and huge hit he pumps out he's pumping out one a month i think the original run of goosebumps was 92 to 97 maybe but he never really stops because he still writes all the offshoots and spinoffs of goosebumps so that's just what he does he seems like a pretty low-key silly guy so hopefully that really sets the tone. And if you guys have any other questions about Arlstein's life during this podcast, hopefully I can shed some light. Did he have any examples of the jokes he wrote from those joke books? Uh, yeah, yeah. I don't. I didn't write them down. They weren't funny though. Sorry, RL. I it didn't explain why he started going by RL. He didn't go by that until Goosebumps. Yeah, he no, he didn't. For Fear Street. He was Jovial Bob, right? He's Jovial Bob Stein a lot of the time. <laughs> Bob Stein. Oh, the inspiration for Goosebumps comes from uh, he had a big dog that scared him that used to like push him down. But I feel like that story is a lie because clearly it was just a paying gig later on in his life. <laughs> uh, did you find out if he actually did sell more books than Stephen King? 
<laughs> well, obviously, they're not going to put the sales figures of his books in uh, uh, in, in in his own biography. But yeah, I didn't figure it out because it was funny because Sean and I were wondering watching the Goosebumps movies because there's a there's a joke in Goosebumps too. He's like, I've sold more books than Stephen King, and I was like, I wonder if that's true. And if you just do a quick Google search, you know, sometimes you get like auto-generated answers. And Stephen King, I think it was like 350 million, and then I, and I type in R.L. Stein, 350 million, <laughs> and it's like it's hard to believe, but I mean, surprisingly, R.L. Stein has written more books than Stephen King, so I guess it's possible just by sheer volume. Like, no way any of those individual Goosebumps books are like huge bestsellers, but they probably did well enough. Yeah, and kids read a lot of books, and grownups don't, not anymore. <laughs> Uh, that was something that uh, surprised me about the two Goosebumps movies is how much a chip on his shoulder R.L. Stein seems to have about Stephen King. <laughs> it's a great recurring joke. He has met Stephen King at least once. I think it was like t- recently, only like four or five years ago at uh-huh. some sort of writer's conference. And mm. R.L. Stein said his interaction with Stephen King was just Stephen King's like, hey, you've stolen almost every idea that for a carnival that you could use in a book. And they <laughs> laughed about that. And that was it. Yeah. <laughs> Not a little, a little anticlimactic. Yeah. <laughs> but it seems like they respect each like they respect each other's game, you know. Uh, okay, so yeah, let's talk about goosebumps. So you're the new neighbor. Yeah, I'm Zach, by the way. I'm Hannah. Hannah, get away from the window now. I gotta go. Hi. Hey, we're just moving in. You see that fence? I uh, yes. Stay on your side of it. He's a big teddy bear. Don't take it personally. He doesn't really like anyone. Yeah. Oh, Hannah's in trouble. Oh, who's Hannah? She's locked in this house, and her dad's a psychopath. Does she have a friend? Whoa, the abominable snowman of Pasadena? These are all Goosebumps manuscripts. Why are these books locked? Did you unlock a book? Oh, no. I'm sorry. I'll put it back where it belongs. Look, here it is. No, don't open it! We've got two movies to talk about. Double feature. I wasn't excited about that going in, but in retrospect, I feel like I've experienced a lot. (laughs) I'm I'm glad we we did both of them, too, because it kind of makes me appreciate the first one more. (laughs) Um... I don't know. I, yeah, I didn't do a ton of research on the background of the first Goosebumps movie. Um, uh, I'm basically just reading from Wikipedia, but that's fine. <laughs> it's what we do all the time. Mm-hmm. So, supposedly, a Goosebumps film was supposed to be made in the late 90s, produced by Tim Burton. What? Uh, not directed. Is it Johnny Depp supposed to be Arnold Stein? Well, it just says produced, so I, I don't know. Oh. Who would play Arl Stein in the 90s? Jim Carrey? <laughs> that sounds terrible, but probably, <laughs> right? Pretty terrible, but pretty possible. Oh my gosh. Uh, what well, are other I 90s mean, comedy stars? Well, I feel like we've had the conversation before about who could play a, a convincing writer, but also be like kind of kind of jokey and slapstick, and we came up with Ben Stiller. Oh yeah. Because he, he, yeah, he seems a little more... You know, snooty, I guess. Sure. Uh, and he could work in the late 90s as well. Yeah. He's, he's, he's been around for a while because he's works. ageless. Um, but anyways, that, that iteration never got made. 
Um, seems like was this after the TV show ended? I guess it would have been. I believe probably after the it? original TV show. Yeah, I don't TV imagine that went on? past ninety eight. That'd be my guess. Yeah, the TV show was yeah it started in ninety seven and yeah it was like till eh, looks like there were some episodes in the early two thousands but yeah that's when that show was going on. I don't really have any recollections of the Goosebumps TV show to be honest. You don't. I don't know why. Oh God, man. I mean, I remember it being on, but I don't. I don't even know what channel it was on. It was on Fox. Uh, dude, Jovial Bob showed up a couple times to introduce the episode. <laughs> he introduces that's, the first episode, that's where he's like, "This, the hi, Bob R.L. Stein here, uh, the haunted mask. <laughs> uh, you ever look at a mask and you thought it was real? Well, here's the story. Least charismatic guy you'll ever see he has no presence <laughs> on camera. That show was fun, but it just the endings weren't usually great." Mm-hmm. And I feel like they were dialing back too much on the scary. I think Are You Afraid of the Dark is the superior scary Canadians children anthology show. <laughs> the fact that there was more than one at a period of time is pretty funny. But it, it was fun. Like some of those some of those stories are good. Haunted Mask is actually one of the better ones. Yeah. Um, and so it seems like it, like it just this idea for another Goosebumps or I guess an original Goosebumps movie. It was just in development hell for a while. Seems like a lot of writers were given the assignment, and no one was really sure whether they should do just a straight adaptation of one of the books. But also, it seemed like that was kind of hard because the books are really short and don't really lend themselves to a feature-length screenplay. So then they came up with this this idea of kind of adapting a bunch of the books and making it this sort of meta. Uh, autobiographical story about R.L. Stein and all of his creations coming to life. Um, and that's, yeah, that's what this movie is. I, I think that's a fun want. take on it. I think that's not a bad start. I, I really like it. They took it in the best direction. But yeah. uh, I think it is a good idea if you're going to do a Goosebumps movie to put R.L. Stein in the story because even though you know he'd show up on that old show sometimes i feel like to a lot of kids he still kind of is like this mysterious figure like lemony snicket or something like who is Stein? something about his name just being out there he's he's got a mythic quality to him so Mm -hmm. it was fun to include him in the story so should we just dive into the plot let's dive into it okay uh opening opening credits uh no goosebumps theme song uh f minus yeah up. You guys remember the Goosebumps theme song? Bork, 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 my, bork. One of my most played songs on Spotify last year. <laughs> boom, 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 boom. I mean, yeah, I remember it, but I don't think I would if you didn't love it so much. It's so good. Because it's got a great melody, and it's got like a sweet hip-hop beat. So it's <laughs> the best of the 90s. Uh, the opening credits are cool, too. They've got this like mysterious evil shadow that's like going over things and turned them into dark versions of themselves. <sighs> Why didn't they just do that? That was so good. Okay. So, Goosebumps. Uh, The Coopers. Zach, Dylan Minnette from 13 Reasons Why. And Amy Ryan from The Office. His mom, Gail. are moving from New York to Madison, Delaware. Which is interesting. Because why Delaware? 
because it's close to New York, and it could be a place where there's a small town, I guess. Yeah, I guess. I mean, <laughs> they they could have easily done like upstate New York, but they just did that in the second one. So, sure, Delaware, why not? And she's going because she's a vice principal at Zach's school. Zach himself, uh, he's kind of a smart ass, I guess. He's sad because his dad is dead. Yeah. I, it's funny that both Goops Us movies have to have a single parent. I was telling Sean because, like, it's because you have to have the parents so busy that they can't be around for most of the hijinks. <laughs> they have to be like, I have to pull double shifts at whatever job I'm doing, and I can't be in any of these scenes. Because it'll be too hard to write around the parent being there all the time. Yep. Uh, there's also a quirky um, aunt uh, who's played by What's-Her-Face from 22 Jump Street. Jillian Bell. Yeah, and she's kind of funny. She, like, bedazzles hats and stuff. She's, like, a funny Yankees hat. She seems to be playing much older than she actually is. In this yeah, because yeah. she's playing a college student in 22 Jump Street. This isn't that big a time difference, mm-hmm. at, if at all. Uh... Yeah, kind of a lot of funny minor characters that pop up in this. And he sees a girl next door and immediately has a connection with her. Sorry, I'm looking up all the characters' names. Hannah, played by Odea Rush. and uh, But she has a weirdo dad who watches him from the window. And we all know that's Jovial Bob up there. How did you guys feel when he first showed up? Because I kind of wanted to you laugh. Mean like just, just like his, just his face, or like when he's yeah, when just Jack, yeah, just when he he's like peeking out the window and he's like, get in here. I mean, it's great. <laughs> yeah, it's it's I, the best I, thing. I know he's supposed to be like mysterious and brooding, but it's just like Jack Black. You're like, it's Jack Black. It's great. Maybe we should just talk about this performance now. So Jack Black <laughs> is playing Arl Stein. What is he doing with the voice? What is okay. he doing? So one thing I kind of realized is, you know, this past year we made this movie Stakeout, and I feel like yeah. I'm doing. He's doing the exact same voice I did in that movie, where I, I guess yeah, you try to be like a mean, smart guy who's also kind of dumb at the same time. I think that's what he's doing. It also kind of reminds me of like that over theatrical stage actor voice. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like what Charlton Heston kind of did, where it's like almost vaguely British in a way. You're yeah. just like, "Damn you! What are you doing?" It's this like over <laughs> like no one t- actually talks like that unless you're trying to be super dramatic. Yeah. And it's funny. I was I was mixed on it in this first movie, but by the second movie. Um, I don't know. I'll talk about when then we talk about the second movie. My feelings started to change a little bit. Yeah, I think I was mixed on it in the first half because he is—he's uh, not really that comedic. He is more of like a—I don't know—more villainous presence, I suppose, because you don't know what he's up to, and he's just being an asshole to all the kids. Um, but by the end, he, he he lightens up and he becomes like a a full on comedic jack black character right okay so moving ahead um oh there's another character he has uh zach has his friend at school who's played by that kid from super eight and also that kid that was uh from this is 40 who had the tom petty insult 
Uh, he's I like that guy in this movie. What's his champion? Name? Champ Champion is the character's name. That'll maybe that'll help me sort through the the cast list here. Um, I feel like I gotta give him some respect. Mm. Ryan Lee. Yes. Because he does have that joke, and it did make me laugh. Where they they've just first met, and he's like. Hey, you want to like go to like like prom together? Maybe like dance together? You know, gotta get the crowd into it. Like that was a funny. I was like, okay, I like this guy. At that point, I was like, why isn't this guy the star? Why do we have just a generic, smartass teen Zach? Because he's cuter. Because he's yeah, that's it. He's cuter. The other kid's kind of goofy looking. So, uh, and so as they're living in this town, um, Zach starts to think that. Um, Arl Stein, who I guess is going by Mr. Shivers, which I heard them call him like as like a nickname, but I didn't know that that was like like secretly an alias, which is what the Wikipedia makes it seem like. Like it's a secret name that he's going by. He thinks Mr. Shivers, uh, Arl Stein, Jovial Bob, is mistreating Hannah. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. So he's going to get to the bottom of this. He hears like screaming and all sorts of like stomping and all sorts of weird noises in there. He hears screaming that is never explained throughout the rest <laughs> of the movie what that screaming was. Oh, we should bring up um, before he goes in and snoops around, he does call the cops. And it's fun because um, Timothy Simons from Veep shows up. Man. And Amanda Lund, right? And Amanda Lund. And they're very funny. And I was very disappointed we didn't get more of these characters. They just get froze. <laughs> Uh, but they were good, so that was that was a fun treat. <laughs> but yeah, it was just in general better stunt casting in Goosebumps One than there is in Goosebumps Two. Yeah, it's, it's a pretty solid cast. Also, Ken Marino's like a teacher at Ken the Marino's school for some reason. He doesn't. He's, he doesn't do anything. I know he's barely. In, he's kind of hitting on the main kid's bomb a little bit, but that never really. But like develops you, into anything. You, you know, Amy Ryan doesn't really have anything to do either. Like, what? Nah. I figured there'd be like a part of the movie. I mean, even though I've already seen this before, there'd be a, t- a part of the movie where she like you know stops him from doing something or like puts her foot down. Be, you know, be's the parent, be's an authority figure that prevents him from from doing something. But that never really happens. Uh, and the Ken, Ken Marino never really gets between that relationship either. Like you'd imagine in most kind of movies of that character, or like become like the jerk step boyfriend or whatever you want to call it. <laughs> He does nothing. Maybe there's some deleted scenes. With yeah, that, I, 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 we got to check out the Blu-ray. And, <laughs> we got to invest uh, more money in time. We got to invest more time in Goosebumps to see what we're missing. I feel like we're not getting the full side of the story. Mm-hmm. So I guess at some point Zach finds an opening to go into the Stein house, and he brings along his uh, buddy Champ. And they go in through the basement, mm-hmm. right? And there's little fun references down there. I pointed out that the cuckoo clock of doom is down in the basement. Oh, if you yeah, guys yeah. remember that classic story, the cuckoo clock of doom, Goosebumps. I don't remember the story, but I remember the cover. That's most of Goosebumps <laughs> for me. And they're snooping around, and eventually they find their, themselves in, I guess, his like, writer's room. And a bunch of books all on a case, these leather-bound books. And I'm trying to remember if one just like falls off, or they open one and they check it out. Let me. That's a good uh, question. I don't remember why they open one up. I know they're interested. Okay, I'm kind of skimming here. Do do do. Find bookshelf, numerous books from the Goosebumps franchise. 
Uh, yeah, he just opens one. <laughs> he just opens one. He's like, "What's this?" And he opens up the uh, the manuscript. I love the uh, all the Goosebumps books have like these leather bound like cases. With <laughs> I, I think the thing is they find the that they all have a lock, and then they find the key, and they're like, "What's up with that?" Yeah, like, and so they open one up, and they open the Abominable Snowman of Pasadena, and the Abominable Snowman jumps out and starts running amok. Uh, you know, something I want to point out right now, or I guess ask you guys. So this is a Sony Pictures animation production. Mm-hmm. What do you guys think of the digital effects in this movie? Like the snowman monster. I would say this, the Abominable Snowman is one of the worst of the effects they do. Why is that? I, I think generally they're pretty good. But with the Abominable Snowman, they took a big swing at, at having a giant monster that's not based on a real thing and so it's just a fully animated character and it's just not, that's not a very convincing effect but he's but so big he is very big <laughs> he bumps his he keeps bumping his head he bumps his head like twice <laughs> good gag but I think a lot of the other effects are really good Slappy looks good um, I think even the big uh, Prank Mantis looks better than the oh the shocker from Shock Street yeah <laughs> And I think it's at this point that that snowman, uh, the abominable snowman, um, escapes. They they encounter H- Hannah. She like finds them. Like, what are you doing? At some point, but I, I do think he like gets out, and they have to go track him down. I think that's how that gets to that next. She point. makes a point of bringing the book with them too. Yeah, and um, as that's happening too, we see another book fall down and slowly open. Mm-hmm. Uh, I guess that lock wasn't very good. <laughs> And I guess the abominable snowman. I don't remember that story, so I don't know if this is canon. Like likes cold stuff, so he they find themselves in the ice rink, and we get a fun little set piece in the ice rink, um, chasing after the abominable snowman. He steals a snack machine, and they're all slipping around. There was a good gag with the uh, what do you call that thing that rides over the, the ice? Zamboni. Rink? Yeah, where Champ gets on, he's like, "Come on!" And before he does it, Sean's like. Pfft. Those things are so slow. And they get on it, and it's slow. It gets slow. And I was like, Sean, the movie's, the movie's way ahead of you. <laughs> <laughs> it knows what you... Yeah. And um, Hannah knows what the way to stop him is that you have to suck him back into the book, which is cool. Like, every time things get sucked in the book, they kind of turn into ink, and it turns into the letters back onto the page. Yeah. <laughs> and they're trying to do this, but they're failing, and I think it's at this point that um, RL saves the day, and he sucks him back into the book, if I'm not mistaken. That, that's what happens. That sounds right. Yeah. I don't have to get every detail right. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I can skim over some stuff. RL skimmed over some stuff in his autobiography. <laughs> and this is where he explains how uh, the power behind his books. Does anyone recall how he... How he explains how his books are real. I totally don't remember. Yeah, I don't really either. <laughs> well, I don't think it was anything that specific. Detail, it was really. It was, I feel like it was just something like uh, these nightmares were so strong that they became real. <laughs> it was something incredibly vague like that. Yeah. Like, okay. So you just can create monsters out of nothing. What I was wondering is uh, how does he? Um, how does he write the books and give them to his publisher and not have the monsters like jump out and attack while that's going on? <laughs> I feel like there's a, there's a hole here in how this works. Oh yeah, no, I think I think they explained it by saying like 
I think you're right about like the, it's just being like the nightmares are so strong and part of it was like it took time okay so it was like the, the they built up strength over time yeah hmm. when they get back I, I think that's when we we meet Slappy because he was in the book that got out yeah he didn't like being in a book no and Slappy is played by Jack Black mm-hmm. how do we feel about the Slappy character and the Jack Black performance greatest villain of all time yeah I'm gonna say great and great because uh, okay. I love that he's played by Jack Black. Uh, I don't know. I just I just love that stuff where you know you assume an actor takes out a role just just for the money, but it's like Jack Black didn't have to be slappy. He's, he, but he wanted to get into goosebumps. He wanted to throw himself into the the universe and play two roles, even though it didn't seem like he was that on board for the sequel, as we'll talk about. But, uh, and, you know, he's, he's having a fun time doing that voice performance. Also, I really like Slappy, the, the character, because he's, he's basically just the crypt keeper, but a dummy, where he's just making lots of <laughs> stupid puns. But uh, the, the, you, you gotta love those stupid puns. I got real crypt keeper vibes, too. I think that's the laugh, particularly in the second movie. He's like, <laughs> Yeah. So... I love, you know, cackling. It's always a good character trait. <laughs> does Slappy demonstrate any of his mystical powers in this one? Not really. I don't really. feel like he does. No. So they it kind of comes that. out of left field in the second one where he has lots of, like, telekinetic powers. <laughs> He's OP in Goose Ups yeah. too. I feel like they went a little too far. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, he is the, the classic villain of all the Goose Ups books. Why is that, John? I think dummy is uh, are just the most like uh, out of all the things that he's had in his books that people are afraid of. It's the most universal. People are afraid of du- everyone's afraid of dummies. Who likes dummies? It's like up there with clowns. It was either like going to be a clown or a dummy was would be like the uh, the iconic villain of Goosebumps. So I don't know. Just the look of him. Just the fact that he's he's a real stinker. <laughs> Something that I had a problem with with. Uh, with Slappy in the books is I never really understood like what's his end game here you gonna kill somebody <laughs> just like playing pranks he seems like he's always just getting people in trouble maybe there's one where he's trying to take over a body I don't know yeah well so at least in these two he has very uh, obvious goals that he's pursuing in the first one he wants revenge on R.L. Stein for being trapped in a book so he wants to kill him mm-hmm. or trap him in a book yeah and in the second one he wants a family of his own. And we'll get into that. There's some deep issues in Goosebumps, too. So Slappy uh, unleashes all the other Goosebumps monsters. Something that I like that he does in this movie is they burn the books. I thought that was good, you know, because it's like, oh, shit, you can't just suck them back in. you got to come up with something else. It's it's putting the writer of the screenplay in a, in a corner, which I appreciate. You know? Yeah. It's, uh, building up the stakes. So then the, the movie kind of... Um, goes and do like a series of set pieces with various monsters though i don't really remember much of them it's really more of just there's monsters everywhere they do run into the gnomes at a certain point uh yes which which they like you know they attack them they attack the characters in in a uh, kitchen and there's a fun little uh gulliver's travels reference It's the same director of Gulliver's Travels. I know. They they tie him up on the ground, and it's just like, yeah, this is for the 10 people that saw Gulliver's Travels. (laughs) (laughs) Loving homage. 
Also, I think Slappy mentions this earlier, but this is where we really get to see it. Uh, they they chop up a bunch of the gnomes. They put some down like the garbage disposal. Mm-hmm. But we find out that they really can't be killed. You can't just. <laughs> I love the idea of like you could just kill all of the monsters, and that would be the solution to the problem. Yeah. But you can't. They're immortal. Because that's when they realize if we can't kill them all, and we don't have a book to suck them into, we need to write a new book that we can mm-hmm. suck all the monsters into. And Arl Stein says he can do it. He can write a book with all his monsters in it, but he needs his typewriter to do it. And that's been donated to the local high school for some reason, because he didn't go to that high school. <laughs> yeah, I'm so confused. And we learned in the second movie that that's kind of his stomping grounds, at yeah. that town in New York. And he's so, incognito in Madison. What the hell are his ties to Madison, Delaware? Why do they well, have this th- damn I think typewriter? they say maybe that he was born in New York State, that like grew up more in the Delaware town. I don't know. There's okay. a very offhand line that explains it in Goosebumps too. Okay. I'm glad somebody's Which by the way, it's Madison, Delaware because they filmed in Madison, Georgia and they didn't want to change all the signs. <laughs> I think that's smart. I don't know why it can't just be in Madison, Georgia. Is it too weird to set You don't want to set it in the sunny south. You want to set it in the foggy north. <laughs> I guess it's more atmospheric. Uh, so what happens at the school then? Uh, maybe like a werewolf or something. <laughs> it's uh, it's the dance is going on. I mean, there's okay, definitely yeah. that werewolf guy tries to attack the like popular girl, and then Champ like fights him off, and then she kisses him for some reason. Because <laughs> he's, he's a hero, hero. I guess. Yeah. I don't know. He's the champ. Yep. This is like I wanted to say this from we got into criti- you know things that we didn't like about these movies, but both these movies just have like a big section throughout most of the movie that's just general chaos. Everything <laughs> around them is just monsters everywhere, monsters everywhere. It makes it really hard to pay attention. Yeah. And I think, yeah, it's, if that happened in the second one, I wouldn't be surprised because it would seem weird to have two abominable snowman scenes when you have so many other goosebumps monsters to get yeah. to. Yeah, fuck that guy. You're really not a fan. So what are some of the monsters that you did like seeing? If you can remember any of the other ones. I like the Unstoppable Goo. Oh yeah, for sure. The Unstoppable Goo. Is that Monster Blood? You, you tell me. Well, there's, <laughs> there's, there's, there's Monster Blood and there's the blob that ate everyone. I'm not sure which one they were going for. I feel like Monster Blood uh, got a bad rap in these movies. Not enough Monster Blood. I, to me, it was one of the most integral Goosebumps uh, series within Goosebumps. There's like four Monster Blood books. So Monster Blood got the shaft. Um, I saw the... Uh, I can't remember the name of the book, but there's like these little reptile creeper guys. I'm sure it's something like the Creeps from Creep Street or something. <laughs> They're just kind of in the background, but I was like, I like those. It's fun just kind of picking out all the all the random characters you remember from book covers out in the background. They get attacked by that giant praying mantis. It that was cool. reminded me of that scene from The Mist where they see the giant oh, monster yeah. walking around. <laughs> And that's the shocker on Shock Street. Or un- unless that was just the name of the book. Like, oh, that's a shocking thing that we saw on Shock Street. <laughs> I don't know if the thing's actually called the shocker. Uh, but yeah, it's cool. It's a big old bug. Uh, should we reveal the, t- the twist about Hannah? I think they definitely find out at the school. So we're at yeah. that time. Did they- okay. Okay, everyone. Brace yourselves. Hannah 
isn't actually R.L. Stein's daughter. She's the ghost next door from the book The Ghost Next Door, and he just has her out, so he's like pretending to be her daughter. Fucked he's so up. lonely. He's so tormented by his nightmares. It's so fucked he up. He needed a daughter. Did you guys see that coming? Did that blow your mind? Uh, yeah, totally. Totally did that. You saw it coming. No, it, it totally, it totally blindsided me. I was like, whoa. Yeah, I twist. didn't. I didn't really see it coming either. It's a, it's a good twist. I mean, as we twist. all know, in R.L. Stein stories, there's the beginning, the middle, and the twist. So he's got that twist locked down, which is bullshit. Cause some of his books have shitty endings. Yeah, but that one that I read that book, good ending, good <laughs> twist in that one. So I'm glad the ghost next door is a prominent character in this book, in this movie. That was cool. Uh, but what I really wanted to get to, and I'm probably glossing over some monster attacks. Uh, I'm just going through the Wikipedia, and it lists so many book titles that are italicized. <laughs> like there's so many references, but. For some bizarre reason, there is a theme park built in the woods in this town. Yeah, it's totally abandoned. But it's in pristine condition. Yeah, you just flip a switch and everything powers on and it works great. <laughs> and, okay, so, okay, okay, okay. Why would you build it in the middle of the forest? Maybe they built the forest after they built the amusement park. <laughs> the forest, like, grew around it? Yeah. It seems like a bizarre place to put this really nice, like, and how is it not vandalized and just swarming with, like, drug addicts and teens having yeah. sex? <laughs> it was it was cool. Like, it was a very nice set, but I don't know, man. Uh, but I had to bring it up because uh, it was interesting, but also I I feel like it plays into the end. It's, it's, not it's where the, the final battle takes final place. final battle takes place. With the unstoppable goo. And the Pirates of the Caribbean set piece where they ride the Ferris wheel. <laughs> oh, confirmation, it is the blob from the blob that ate everyone. It's not Monster Blood. It, it does absorb R.L. Stein, so. Uh, so how did they stop it? What happened? Did he write? He must have written this. I think he wrote his pages while they're at the school. But they have to, he has to put them in the book and then they have to suck them into the, the new pages, I guess. Yeah, the so the, it ends up being the teen who has to write the, the page. That's right. Zach has to write the end. But I think R.L. Stein has just said what it is. So it's literally just the act of writing it right. It's not like in the <laughs> second one where she actually has to come up with the ending in that one. Yeah, I'm a little disappointed that Zach... I feel like it usually works best in kids' movies when there's some sort of fault of the character and then they find a way to overcome that fault. Yeah. In the end, to their advantage, like how Champ is awkward and he doesn't know how to kiss a girl. But Zach, kiss a girl. Zach doesn't really have that. I mean, he's got a role. He's got a love story in it for him. His the closest they have is he's like embarrassed that his mom's the vice principal, and then at the end, he's not embarrassed about it. He definitely went through a change. But, so I think Robert McKee would be proud uh, that the character went through a change. <laughs> he probably gives thumbs up. What a story. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, they. I mean, I wasn't expecting them to put much into that character to flesh him out. But you really should have. They really should have made him a nerd. I, okay, okay. He's getting over the loss of his dad. Yes. And at the end of the movie, he has to write the last page of the book, which will suck up Hannah. Yes. So he has to go through another traumatic loss again. Oh, so yeah. So he, right. he finds the inner strength to kill his love interest to save the world 
he learns it's, it's not he learns nothing. that everyone dies he learns, yeah, everyone he learns dies. to ex- he learns to accept the cold embrace of death yeah it's part of life is death i mean she's a ghost so she's already dead anyway. yeah she's not welcome on our plane uh so yeah they they suck they suck up all the all the monsters including slappy this is important for later slappy gets sucked in he does and I guess we can go to the end where uh, R.L. Stein has now become a teacher at the school. He's come out of, I guess, seclusion and is kind of going to spread his gift with young minds. Uh-huh. And this is when we see the, the universe shattering moment, the big cameo. Uh, Jovial Bob shows up. Jovial Bob walks by and Zach's like, who's that? And R.L. Stein says, that's Mr. Black, the new drama teacher. So he is probably an actor. So he's probably <laughs> Jack Black. So they did a switcheroo yeah. where Jack Black wrote all these books. And R.L. Stein, I think, starred in all the Jack Black movies, right? That makes sense. Checks yes, out. But now he's teaching high school drama. Well, it's, well, this is what's going to happen to Jack Black when he gets to be about 70 years old. The timeline's <laughs> a little messed up now. Okay. All right. I, that makes sense. Oh, also from the uh, the Goosebumps autobiography, uh, Jovial Bob had a lot of fun on the set of this. And he really liked <laughs> like his Black. one scene? Yeah. He was nervous because he doesn't really consider himself an actor. Yeah. Well, that's true. He's also a lot taller than I thought. He looks to be a tall man. Well, mm-hmm. he was around Jack Black, who is not a tall man. But he's definitely like he looks like he's at least like six three. He's a tall man, and he always wears the same black outfit. That that costume that that Jack Black is wearing as R.L. Stein is accurate. I feel like that is actually <laughs> what R.L. Stein wears in his everyday life. They don't. They didn't get as prominent. I don't know if you guys have looked at pictures of R.L. Stein. He has a very prominent uh, mole on his forehead. No, no. Very prominent. So prominent that on his introduction to the Night of the Living Dummy episode, he has a dummy of himself that has the big mole on the forehead. Really? <laughs> yeah. It's uh, it's part of his image. He's like uh, Cindy Crawford. <laughs> and yeah, this is the this is the bit too where Colin Yuri talked about it, where she says uh, to his, his students, every story has a beginning, a middle, and a twist. And it's great because you're like, oh, but this movie's not over yet. <laughs> and uh, then there's a scene where um, R.L. Stein is walking the halls and he looks into the trophy case where his, uh, his typewriter is and there's, there's typing going on and uh, like a voice that's saying like, oh, you didn't get me or you didn't get all of them. And it's the invisible boy. And he turns to this camera and screams and turns into a drawing. <laughs> great ending. Except it's kind of weird to think about that. So the Invisible Boy has his back to the glass, and he's standing in a case with not a lot of room, yeah. typing. He's a very small boy. Uh, I think it would have been better if he kept the typewriter on his desk instead of putting it back in the case. Uh, yeah. This is a minor complaint. <laughs> Especially because we know he had just used the typewriter, because the other thing is he wrote one last book, which yeah. was like a sequel to The Ghost Next Door. So or, that he could yeah. bring Hannah back to life. Or maybe, oh yeah, we forgot to bring that. We forgot to mention that Hannah, he did bring Hannah back. And then he burns that book for that manuscript. So she's, so she's back forever. Whether or not she will age, I don't know. Or yeah, is she alive? 
<laughs> is she just a ghost? Is it? Is this the same Hannah? Or is this Ooh. a new? Is this a clone? It's like a Gamora is... in Avengers Endgame. She yeah. doesn't have those life experiences that the other one did. Though he probably wrote that into it, but it's a different Hannah, I think. In in my mind, in my in my head canon, this is a different Hannah. They have to fall in love all over again. So uh, so, Colin, what did you like about this Goosebumps movie? What worked for you? Um, I liked <laughs> I like the you know just the fun premise of of using a real life person who nobody knows much about in terms of their personal life and using this fantastical premise and. And also, uh, yeah, just using the whole universe of these books instead of just doing an adaptation of one is also fun, even though uh, a lot of the references were lost on me since I don't remember a a lot of the Goosebumps creatures that clearly, but, um, you know, it's it's just fun to see all these sort of, you know, common... (laughs) like halloweeny characters just running around causing chaos and i don't know it's like pretty like reasonably funny and and you know it's got it's, 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 the characters are pretty quippy but they're 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 fun to watch i guess i don't know i think um but but yeah, also just like watching Jack Black do his thing is is always fun. I, it I don't know. It definitely got me thinking. Like, has Jack Black ever given like a really bad performance? He probably has. But I feel like even when he's giving a performance like this, where he's kind of miscast, like it almost even works in his favor uh, eventually, just because. Uh, it's kind of fun to watch him give a weird, like, not quite right performance. I don't know. It's not the kind of role I would normally imagine him playing. Definitely not. Because he has to kind of tone himself down a little bit. Yeah. It's yeah. funny when you were saying, like, you know, can't really think of, like, a, I don't know, like a bad Jack Black performance or anything. I can't really think of one where he, either, where he, he didn't give a hundred percent into what he's doing like i'm sure but, there are jack black performances where he's just fine because he isn't given a ton to do like i don't i don't have any recollection of what he did in say year one but that's just <laughs> that's just a bad movie all around i don't think any the only person who's bringing it in year one is oliver platt <laughs> True. He's bringing Who too much. One of the best performances. <laughs> Take some of it back, Oliver. To the point where this movie is just become super creepy, mm-hmm. but I love it. Uh, yeah, and but I like I think it's cool that Jack Black he has to kind of learn to play this out. Like I said, like he is one hundred percent. He has to like learn to play this at like eighty percent and trying to be comfortable in that space. Yeah. And I think he does a good job. Um, he doesn't really like he does. Yeah, he doesn't really have like a lot of funny things to say he's not really like the a super funny character he does have a couple lines that made me laugh i like that part where he's like it's slappy's revenge that'd be a good name for a book it's a good guess and i like he's always thinking i like the part where he's ragging on stephen king that's 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 a fun gag more books than him yeah i have a tough time like reaching a final verdict on this performance because i (laughs) do feel like they, like someone out there could have played this part better. Probably. I have no doubt about that. 
But I could also see this movie starring um, t- like like Dwayne Johnson or John Cena or something as R.L. Stein. <laughs> and it'd just be so bad. <laughs> Dwayne Johnson just towering, ripped. There's a part where he has like a dumbbell, but on the end are two typewriters, and he's pumping that up. Maybe they use technology to shrink him down. <laughs> I was trying to think about who else could play this role, and I couldn't think of anyone who would be like a box office draw. There are obviously people who could probably fit this role better. Yeah, but they have to be a box office draw for kids. Yeah, that also aren't tough. off-putting to parents. If this movie, if we're trying to make the non-commercial goosebumps, my dream choice for Arl Stein is Fred Armisen. I feel like he could really nail ah. that part. I feel like he has the look. I feel like he could play the kind of the nevish nerd. I feel yeah. like it would have been perfect. Yeah, I like that. But uh, that would never. That would be. That would only exist as like a, a Netflix original, maybe. That could not be a theatrically released. How about movie. Al Pacino. <laughs> that sounds. That, it's one of those things that like it sounds like oh, you want to see that so bad, but then you see it and you're like, oh god, that was horrible. <laughs> it sounds hilarious though. We know he can do comedy because mm-hmm. of Jack and Jill. He's and into Dunk, it. Dunkachinos. <laughs> Dunkachinos. So yeah, if we're gonna touch on a, a few things that we didn't like um, before we jump into the next movie. I enjoyed a lot of the Goosebumps characters popping up in the background. What I didn't enjoy is they were never, they were very rarely integrated in a clever way. Mm-hmm. Like, example, this particular creature wasn't in the movie, but I remember the book Egg Monsters from Mars, where like eggs, everyone's eggs turn out to be like little aliens. You'd have had a great scene maybe where someone's making breakfast and then like egg, the monsters jump out. You know, more stuff like that, where they kind of integrate themselves into a scene instead of just being. Like, I guess the Abominable Snowman at the ice rink is an example of that. Mm-hmm. But I'm really having trouble thinking of other ones <laughs> where, like, the character goes hand-in-hand hand with the situation. Yeah, and I think that problem gets ramped up a lot in the second one. <laughs> where it's just, they're just filling scenes with Goosebumps characters mm-hmm. arbitrarily. There's just so much going on. So I, that, it, yeah. Like, in Goosebumps 2, it feels like, they're like, all right, just run around, and we'll animate in monsters around you. We'll figure <laughs> it out later. That was the direction? Yeah. Extras? <laughs> just run around in a bunch of circles, just screaming, around, waving your arms. Fall down if you want. I don't know. <laughs> Who cares? So, yeah, that was that was one issue I had. And the other one is, I just feel like, is this really the funniest movie they could have made? It really seems like they half-assed their way through a lot of story beats and a lot of jokes. Yeah, I think... It was more they were like, let's make a horror movie for kids, like a super PG. Like, it's not actually scary, but it has sort of the rhythm of a horror movie uh, more than it has the sensibilities of a comedy. But it doesn't have the rhythm of a horror movie. It doesn't have so? scares. Mm-hmm. It, I mean, I think it wants to. Maybe, yeah, maybe in like the last third, it kind of feels like a horror movie. But yeah, the other two thirds of it just kind of feel like a comedy. I'm, I'm no, but that's what I'm saying. Like, it doesn't even have scares. It's too tepid to even do like yeah. a jump scare. Mm-hmm. But I think it wants you to like. It wants to teach kids like this is sort of what a horror movie feels I like. Think, watching. I think I think you're right about that. Where mm-hmm. like it wants you to feel like this is a horror movie for kids, but they're too afraid to bump it up. That yeah, extra yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I'll agree with that. Uh, so I had a problem with that. It and and yeah, and then just I feel like it's it could be a little shorter. Uh, I just kind of get lost somewhere in the middle. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I feel like all the best jokes in this were probably improvised or just little little things that the actors brought. 
Mm-hmm. I don't get a feeling. I don't imagine that script is like a really fun read. <laughs> <laughs> it feels very workmanlike. I'm sure it was. Who, who, let's see who who adapted the. Uh, oh no! Well, I saw the story is by Scott Alexander and Larry Karaszewski, who I love. But as I've learned recently, story is usually just like you wrote an early version of script, and then they took like everything out of it. Yeah, didn't we see that this was uh, David Lemke? Darren Lemke, oh Darren. my god. And you know what Darren Lemke just wrote? Gemini Man. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, it is. This is like a this is like a journeyman screenwriter who has been uh, who's been working for a while cuz he was writing unproduced scripts in the 90s. <laughs> and it looks like some of it, it looks like it wasn't until like the mid 2000s that he finally started getting stuff made. I see some past um, Darren Lemke scripts are, uh, let's see, Shrek Forever After, Jack the Giant Slayer, Turbo. Uh, he has a story credit on Shazam, which is interesting. Huh. <laughs> um, but yeah, just a lot of kind of whatever kid stuff. Also super close to my last name. Like the, the K key is even really close to the M key. Almost there. Darren Lemke, man. Uh, should we talk about Goosebumps 2? We <laughs> have to, unfortunately. So Goosebumps 2 begins with a, uh, a new location and a new cast of characters. And it's going to be a long time until we see the familiar face. Um, I, mean, so we're... I, I wasn't even sure if we would see any familiar faces. Uh, you know, watching the the first hour of this movie. Yeah, it's funny that we watched both of these because it seems like the second one is made so that you definitely don't have to watch the first one. You can just enjoy this because mm-hmm. it's picking up in a new town, Warden Cliff, New York, new cast of characters. Let's see. Let's, 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 let's break down some of our characters. So we have, we have Sarah Madison Eisman mm-hmm. and she is trying to apply to Columbia university. She's a big fan. She has a banner on the wall. Yeah, she wants to be a part of their English program. And she has to write... She's trying to write her essay on fear. On fear. (laughs) So it's like, how will that work? How's that going to tie to the story? I don't know, (laughs) man. Uh, She has a brother named Sonny, uh, played by Jeremy Ray Taylor, from It. Just also, we should mention, Madison Eisman, I think... We didn't actually look this up, but we think is the girl in Jumanji that becomes the Jack Black character. (laughs) That is confirmed. We've confirmed it. (laughs) We've broken that story. Just a weird coincidence that probably (laughs) is not just a coincidence. Yeah, so we got her. We got the the brother, the the, uh, kid from It. Kid from It. And uh, Wendy uh, McClendon-Covey is the single parent working double shifts at the hospital. (laughs) Um, The... Jeremy Ray Taylor also has a buddy, uh, Sam, played by Khalil Harris. That part's weird because there's this there's the opening scene where the, the, his parents drop him off yeah. and they're like supposedly leaving Wendy in charge, but then she immediately goes to a double shift to the hospital where she's gone for like two days. <laughs> it was like, what's what's the situation here? How's this work? Uh, I'm not sure. Not really sure. Oh, also, I, I guess we should point out that Wardenclyffe. Uh, Nikola Tesla has like a yeah. big presence Tesla in this town. town. There's a big Tesla tower in the town. I'm not sure if that's a real thing. I think I looked that up. Yeah, it was like that tower or or some some sort of tower. So there's a there's a I think a Wardenclyffe Tower that Tesla actually did work at. Yeah, but there's not a whole town dedicated to that. It's just a tower. <laughs> right. Okay, and. Um, 
So so back to uh, so Sonny and Sam, they have a garbage junk collection business. Mm-hmm. The Junk Boys. Uh-huh. It's like we have a a wagon, a red wagon. So let's start a business around that. <laughs> that feels like a real kids business. That feels like something you read in like an old like like a boxcar children type book or like fourth grade rats where like kids have a junk business. But it seems like that's an idea that like a six year old has, not somebody who's like thirteen. Also, there's a part where they are shown putting up flyers all over town that say like "Call the Junk Boys," and then later one of their bullies is like, "Oh look, it's the Junk Boys," and they're like, "Hey, what's your problem?" It's like you guys are calling yourselves that. It's because it's in a condescending way, Sean. <laughs> junk Boys. It's like if someone's like, "Oh, well, if isn't Mister Sean Lemmy?" <laughs> How do you feel now? I've had people saying Sheehan like that to me my entire life, and actually it does really get under your skin. <laughs> See? It's the all about the inflection. Well, so they get hired to clean a, uh, a creepy mansion. Uh, I don't remember who hires them. Whoever's the property. Pennywise the clown. <laughs> uh, so they get, they get hired to clean this mansion, and they get to keep all the junk. And they're doing it for free because yeah, they're dumb. They're dumb. Uh, and they find a manuscript because I guess... Oh, I guess this is the manuscript that made it? Or... Because this mm. is where he lived before he moved to Madison, and he had his first manuscript uh, there. Right, right, right. His first... Never published. His first story. There, there are some jokes later on. He's like, you can tell I was a real hack writer at this part of my career. <laughs> It's good. And uh, it is opened and unleashes Slappy the Dummy. He's back. Not played by Jack Black this time. Yeah. Mick Wingert, who is Jack Black's, uh, I guess, a Jack Black stand-in. He plays, uh, well, voice stand-in in in projects. He plays uh, Poe on the Kung Fu Panda TV show. He is a master. It is a flawless impression. He sounds just like him. I never would have guessed that it wasn't Jack (laughs) Black. It's amazing. I need to look up the Kung Fu Panda cartoon uh show because i it's like slappy he is doing a bit of a voice it's not 100 percent just normal talking jack black so maybe that's just a lucky coincidence that it makes it easier to double him that way but i want to assume this guy is just the master mm-hmm. <laughs> something i like that i believe actually is from the book so someone who worked on the strip to this was this another darren lemke did um I don't know. Uh, yeah, he's got a story by credit. Rob Lieber is a credit screenplay writer. But um, they have the magic card where you read the phrase that brings Slappy to life. Mm-hmm. That is definitely from the book. Yeah. And, and it really sets the tone for Slappy being a much more magical character in this movie. And it's also uh, an important distinction because our Slappy from the first movie got sucked into the super book at the end of the first movie. But this is a different Slappy. From R.L. Stein's or uh, you know unpublished first manuscript, uh, and they're they're so they're they're chilling with Slappy, um, or they put him back in the book, or no, no, he's he's out, he, he's outside. He, he uses his psychic powers to dazzle and amaze. Yeah, impress him. But uh, when they're when they're riding home with all their junk, the bully shows up and he takes the book for some reason. Yeah, which is weird because he's like, ugh, book. But then he takes it anyway. Yes. <laughs> it's also a bad piece of continuity because uh, they clearly leave it behind on the ground and ride away on bikes. And then just later he still has it. Yeah, it's weird. Uh, I think we should also point out that Sonny um, is working on a science project with the Nikola Tesla Tower. He's building a miniature version, but it's actually supposed to be powered by yeah. electricity. 
and I guess we could talk about that awesome scene where Slappy shows his, the full extent of his magical powers in Sunny's room. He uh, he brings his action figures to life, makes them fight. Oh, yeah. Street Fighter. I saw that scene. I was like, oh my god, this is so good. <laughs> it looks amazing. They're even shooting Hadoukens. Where's that coming from? Yeah, and How where's that going to? The Hadoukens just fly off screen. Yeah, are there little holes in the wall? He can bend the time-space continuum. He's OP in this movie. But it seems like he just wants to be friends with them. Like, he wants to play Rocket League with them. He wants a a mom. He wants a family. Yeah, but you can tell that he's not 100% above board because he says, like, hey, don't let anyone know that I'm alive. And then in the very next scene, they are not letting on that he's alive uh, when, uh, when the sister walks by. And he totally is like, he says, like, Slappy says something. He's like, good night or goodbye. Yeah, and this is just like, what? what's going on? He's trolling. He's trying to get caught. Do you remember when I said he was one... a stinker? Yeah. <laughs> oh, and I know we said we were trying to be less detailed this one, but I can't help it. So there's also that scene before this, if we're going to follow a little bit of the sister, where she's going to, Sarah, where she's going to go meet up with her, um, her kind of like her boyfriend, or at least a boy that she likes uh-huh. at some point concert or slash club for teens it's hard to tell uh-huh. and he's totally making out with another girl so yeah she's pretty pissed so she's not in the mood for these dummy pranks when she gets home and she's also got the stress of having to be like i guess the parental figure while her mother is gone <laughs> for how, how long it seems yeah. like a long time super long oh shift. also we should mention there's a scene earlier where they're shopping and we get to meet chris parnell he's in this movie Oh yeah, he's, he's uh, flirty on accident. Very underutilized. Unless he's that guy in the makeup the I whole time. I think he is that. Colin, <laughs> do you think he's the guy in the makeup? Uh, I don't. Can we confirm this? Sorry if that destroys gonna... the fantasy. I could... Okay, Sean looks like he's doing some research. It seems like a very hard thing to prove or disprove. I was very disappointed because it really seems like Chris Parnell was bringing the right kind of energy for this movie. That's something that I will give this movie credit for, and I guess the first Goosebumps movie credit for, that a previous movie struggled with a lot that we watched on this podcast, which was Looney Tunes Back in Action, where I feel like a lot of people in here know exactly what wavelength to be on for a kid's movie. Chris Parnell, uh, Wendy McClendon Covey, and Ken Jeong, who's their kooky neighbor who is really into elaborate Halloween decorations. I feel like they all know just the right level of silly and cheesy to be at. Um, but I was really disappointed we didn't get more Chris Parnell because I like that he's kind of got a thing with the mom. I think that's kind of a fun little yeah. plot. Yeah, well, we should have known. The moms just don't get to be big parts of these movies. They're just yeah. they're too busy. Sean, double shift at the hospital. <laughs> Maybe even a triple shift. Um, yeah, we- so he basically just ends up like Ken Marino. Just, gets, just doesn't get his due. He gets a little more because uh, I guess we can jump ahead a little bit. So Slappy, he's doing mischievous things. He's uh, he superpowers the the Tesla Tower, which uh, when Sonny uh, presents in his class, blows up like a hole in the wall, and that gets him in trouble. And also gets him in trouble a lot with the mom because she's like, "I'm really disappointed in you, Sarah." Like she had any like there's anything she could have done to prevent this. Mm-hmm. Uh, and does Slappy just like peace out? No, remember they kill him. 
Oh, how does that happen? <laughs> <laughs> they they deduce the Slappy's bad, and they uh, they knock him out. I think with the spell. Do they just hit him in the head? Or maybe they just hit him in the head. <laughs> they just like hit him in the back of the head. Regardless, they decide to put him in a briefcase and weigh it down with stones and throw him in the lake. Give him. And when we're watching Sean, you're like, "Why not burn him? Yeah. <laughs> He's made of wood." Let's put him in a situation where he might be able to get out. Yeah, where this magical thing. Let's throw a magical thing off screen. Do you think it's just because they don't want kids to get the idea that you can? Start fires to get rid of problems. <laughs> it's probably yeah. They probably don't want to teach kids to kill, <laughs> but it's okay to like trap and throw in a river. That's it's a, a step up from killing. It's pretty brutal, and like the kids are even like, "Are we doing the right thing? Is this right?" <laughs> this is my favorite part of the movie. <laughs> it's like Miller's Crossing. <laughs> they they think they've killed or at least knocked out Slappy, and they have to hide the body. It's really good. And of course, as soon as they get back in the car, Slappy's like on the windshield and being like, Ah, why'd you leave me? <laughs> Looks pretty bad. So, had to point that out. It's a weird looking scene. Yeah. <laughs> they um they do their best not to show a full Slappy body on screen that often. Some of the shots look okay, though, with full body Slappy. Yeah. And they, they even they go all the way and let him walk. Uh, like maybe two times over the course of both movies. I, I was about to give that scene a standing ovation just for the effort of making it. Because you never see that in this kind of movies. You never get to see a ventriloquist dummy walk. Yeah. <laughs> Such a rare treat. It's so weird. Uh, yeah, and at some point Slappy gets loose and he goes to Chris Parnell's like hardware store uh, with all the Halloween masks. And he just uses straight up magic to turn the mass into various creatures. I, I guess not specifically goosebumps creatures, though some of them are kind of vaguely similar. You know, you have a vampire, and there's that the vampire breath goosebumps story. I saw later there's like a there's a pumpkin head guy, and there's there's a creature like that in the goosebumps book. So you get some of the characters, not so much. Um, but it's, it, I, I kind of like the idea of him unleashing. Um, Halloween as the threat because that's yeah. what Arl Stein's original like first book was about, and that's the title of the movie, of course, Haunted Halloween. Haunted Halloween. It seems like this movie went through a lot of titles. Oh yeah, because Slappy's Revenge was one of the original titles, which I love because in the first one he's like Slappy's Revenge. That's a good title. Yeah, it could have been that it was almost the title. It's it, like I, making a movie called Spaceballs Two: The Search for More Money. I feel like it had one other title. Uh, Sean, did you ever find out if that was actually Chris Parnell? Uh, uh, Wikipedia makes it seem like it is. I but think it it's is. It's not definitive. I'm gonna if I ever meet Chris Parnell, that's what I'm gonna ask him. Okay, so yeah, uh, Slappy unleashes Halloween, and again, just kind of general chaos. <laughs> yeah. So in the first movie, at least there were more like, here's the obstacle, we must overcome it, right? Like mm-hmm. it's like here's an army of gnomes, let's evade them. Uh, here's a giant praying mantis. Let's not get crushed by it. Uh, in this one, there's they never seem to have like a, a solo like one on one showdown with these monsters. There it's... is one. There is one. Gummy bears. Oh right, mm-hmm. gummy bears. Colin, how'd you feel about the gummy bear sequence? Not as good. I mean, I like gummy bears, the candy, quite a bit. But oh really... yeah, I think everyone can agree on that, right, <laughs> yeah. Sean? But... Just hated to see them vilified. <laughs> 
But really, yeah. it is kind of just the same scene from the first movie with the gnomes, but with gummy bears instead. I guess it's kind of fun how they like kind of meld into each other and become a big old gummy bear. Like, I'd like to take a bite out of one of those. But <laughs> oh, yeah. Me otherwise, too, the scene feels like a little... So they do sell like a big, I don't know, like a three pound, five pound gummy bear. Yeah. Yeah. Would you want that in your life? I mean, I'd want to try it just once to just know what it feels like to bite into that much gummy. All right. I just need to quickly add something to my Christmas shopping list. Yeah. I would love to see someone on Halloween, like a kid knocks on the door and someone just dumps that into their pail. (laughs) Yeah. How much do you think the world's largest gummy bear costs? The world's largest, largest. gummy bear? It's five pounds. Wait, that's, a lot. that's the world's largest gummy bear? I mean, pounds? I'm sure someone has made a bigger one. Okay, well, you mean just like so one that you could buy online that's five pounds? Yeah, it's called uh, it's called the world's largest. That's like the brand uh, name. Fifteen dollars for five pounds of gummy? Yeah, thirty dollars. Uh, on Amazon right now, you have three choices. You can get red flavor, blue flavor, or a three flavor, uh, blue, orange, red mix. Uh, all three are available for $21.98. When I said 15, you looked at me like I was insane. <laughs> like, it's like, oh, it's clearly it's going to be much higher. Surely. You well, the thing is, joking. John, you were spot on for the world's largest gummy worm. $14.98. Wow. Uh, yeah, that sounds. Uh, no, that sounds bad. I don't think I'd want to eat that. I'm glad there's a three flavor one. Yeah, because you get bored with eating the same flavor for five. That's you're in for a rough. Holy night. shit! This gummy worm is big. How big are we talking? Does it give a, a, a length? Uh, it is 26 inches long. Fuck, dude! Wow. That's pretty cool. Wow. I, that would have been way cooler than gummy bears. Yeah, I like gummy bears in the movie. Oh, but everyone complains it shows up split in half on accident. So you got to go buy it in real life. Oh, you can't buy that. the shit online. Fuck that. Fuck that. <laughs> okay. Uh, problem with the gummy bear scene. Two more comments with the gummy bear scene. Uh-huh. Um, I guess first I'll just bring up. Do you guys think those gummy bears look good? Like the effects? Yeah. Yeah, they look I think fine. So too. Sony Pictures Animation stepped up. Yeah. My second thing, uh, just kind of a stray observation. Don't you think it's weird that someone has a bowl of Halloween candy that just has gummy bears in oh, their yeah. house? In their house. Unwrapped gummy bears. And it's in one of those bowls with the hand that grabs you when you reach into the bowl. <laughs> so it's like, because you get those to like scare kids. You, they put their hand in the bowl and then the fake hand grabs their hand. Yeah, yeah. But no one, everyone knows you're not supposed to give out unwrapped candy on Halloween. I don't even think it's legal. <laughs> so that's just for you. That You're amusing yourself time and time again to see that fake hand come down and probably shriek as you grab gummy bears. Bizarre. Super bizarre. Also, big complaint for the movie for me, uh, they sucked the gummy bears up into the book, and the ink effect, which I guess was maybe too graphic or something, too much like blood, is gone. So things just disappear into the book now. Disappointing. Thumbs down. Disappointing. The ink effect is cool. <laughs> now it's just like general like blue light or some yeah. bullshit. Now you're just ghost busting. It's just lame ghost busting. Uh, but yeah, you know, aside from that gummy bear sequence, I can't think of a lot of other scenes. They have a giant balloon spider, and it totally goes to waste. Oh yeah, it's not that interesting. 
that was cool when it came back at the end, but it it was pretty brief. It could have been the main villain. Uh, it could have. I mean, it's definitely the main henchman. Uh, should we talk about Jack Black's presence in this movie? Okay, yeah, this is... So, Colin, let's... let's yeah, tell me about it. Okay, so... At some point, the kids, like, call R.L. Stein. I don't know how they get his number. I think they read online about the events from the first movie that happened yeah. in Delaware. Um, mm-hmm. And I think when... I think we hear sort of off screen uh, R.L. Stein being like, oh no, I've got to help them. <laughs> and then he eventually shows up. I can't yeah, remember it's like how. A, it's like a riff on The Shining, how Scatman Crothers is always on his way back to the hotel. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I can, um, yeah. So then he's just like hanging out with the new kids. I don't know. I can't remember. It's another thing where I can't remember any distinct set pieces. I remember there's an it reference in it where yeah. he sees a red balloon. I can't remember what he says though. When he's like, I knew I came up with it first. Ah, uh, yeah, that's pretty good. I guess because <laughs> everybody loves references. <laughs> there's a big uh, missed opportunity because they explained that um, Ken Jeong's character, uh, who does not have kids. Is super into Halloween, and he's also a huge Goosebumps fan. Oh, and, um, and so they have a scene of him like freaking out and talking about all these Goosebumps things. But they don't really like, play up. They don't give him his super fan moment with R.L. Stein. Mm-hmm. I was wondering what the breakdown was for his appearance. You don't even get a glimpse of him until 56 minutes into the movie. 56 minutes. Fuck. That's a fuck you amount of minutes. <laughs> it sounds like... He was working on the house with a clock in its walls at the same time. <laughs> yeah, and, and I, that when you say that, do you mean he had like a um, like legally he couldn't be in two children's horror movies at the same time as a star, or it was just he was busy making that movie? I think the latter is more of a scheduling thing. Hmm. Really, it was just a coincidence that they both happened to be children's horror movies that tie into children's horror books. Yeah, which is. <laughs> bizarre coincidence i get i assume that's also why he couldn't make the time to do uh, the, the slappy voice but also not a problem and okay so here's where i want to talk about the jack black performance as a whole so yeah after we watched that first movie i really wasn't sure how i felt about it but watching a good chunk of this movie really made me miss that energy that he brought yeah it really makes Mm -hmm. you realize that he is pumping up so much into this movie it feels so flat the characters feel so flat without him that even jack black at like you know playing a a a fairly i don't know i don't know if average but not like a super goofy character like even that is so much more than these other characters it's so much more interesting to watch so once I realized, cause I didn't really know going in that we weren't going to get much. Like at a halfway point, I was like, "Oh fuck, we're not going to get much, are we?" God damn it! And I was feeling it, man. I was I was feeling the loss. Yeah, I yeah, I had the same thing where it's like, uh, we're we're just going to be watching these kids this whole movie, aren't we? And they're good kids, but uh, they could they need they needed adults, and they all, and they had uh, you know Wendy McLeod and Cubby. But uh, when they bring her back into the movie, it's because we find out that this Slappy doesn't have a chip on his shoulder with Arl Stein. Instead, he, he is following the plot of his book, which means he wants to uh, 
uh, start a family of dummies. And so he somehow turns her into a dummy. That's pretty scary. It's pretty scary. (laughs) It's the the scariest thing, I think, in either of these movies is seeing her... I think so. ...with a creepy jaw thing. He takes her up to the Tesla Tower, which they're going to use to... Murder? (laughs) I don't know. Okay, so I'm reading that Slappy travels to the Tesla Tower to amplify his magic. What the hell does that mean? (laughs) He's already got... telepathy he just wants to be become god he wants to become a god he wants a family and he wants to become god the plot of these films is slappy the dummy wants to be god they also are really inconsistent with how they portray his relationship with the dummy wendy mcclennan covey because uh she's supposed to be his mommy but he treats her more like a wife it's weird like that's like super creepy like don't tell ted cruz about that He'll jack off to it. <laughs> yeah, sure. <laughs> oh, also, we never mentioned that um, his like right hand man. I mean, aside from the big old spider, which is made henchman, is uh, Chris Parnell. He throws the haunted mask on him and turns him into like a ghost monster. I guess we kind of talked about that a little bit earlier because we we're like, is it really him in the mm-hmm. in the costume? And we haven't gotten official confirmation on that. We'll get it someday. Uh, and that was disappointing because yeah, no jokes from that character. From I don't know his name is Carl, maybe something like that. Yeah, they don't even do like a uh, like a, oh his crush on Wendy McClendon Covey helps him like restore his sanity or yeah. he helps the team in the end. He's just there. He's just there. Yeah, and all the other monsters they don't really make much of a presence. And 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 even R.L. Stein doesn't help he just shows up at the end yeah he has no impact on this movie like he shows up when it's too late he never he doesn't even help and not even like he shouts something from the bottom like looking up at them in the tower that helps them defeat slappy he, he adds nothing to the story it's just a cameo that they build up for a long time so how did they end up stopping slappy is what i'm trying to remember uh, do they just suck him up into the book? It's a double feature. Uh, the the two boys work together, and also the sister. Uh, so the two boys remember what happened with the science experiment, and they overload Tesla Tower yeah. to make it explode. And at the same time, uh, the sister uses her creative writing powers to write the last page of the unfinished manuscript and put it in so that she can suck up all the monsters into the into the book also fun side note the um sarah and um, sam and sunny all dress up as the three main costumes from halloween three season of the witch which i have confirmed is what they're referencing in the imdb trivia section nice do you know about halloween three season of the witch colin no i do not it is an insane movie that is the third halloween movie that has nothing to do with the other ones that is about killer masks Hmm. Also, magic and robots. All right. Also, I just realized why I can't remember the names of any of these kids. They all start with the same letter. Yeah, isn't that like screenwriting 101 to not do that? Sarah, <laughs> Sam, and Sonny. And Slappy. And Slappy. Fuck this. Start over. Yeah. <laughs> I demand a rewrite. Nice job, Rob Lieber. Darren Lemke wouldn't have made this mistake. I'm sure he had totally different names. He's a pro. I'm looking up Rob Lieber. He does not have a Wikipedia. Mm. 
looks like uh, he doesn't have a lot of credits. It looks like he wrote Alexander and the Terrible, Horrible, No Good, Very Bad Day. Didn't that also have Dylan Minnette in it? Not that this did. <laughs> yeah, it did. Mm-hmm. And uh, wrote an episode of The Goldbergs, uh, did Peter Rabbit, and this. So that's his Wendy McClendon Covey connection. Yep. He's got the connections, man. So, yeah, I did not like this one even as much as I liked the first one. It was a, uh, a bummer to watch. It had the one cool scene where the kids try to cover up a murder. I appreciate... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they try to cover up a murder. I appreciate that the character of Sarah, though she's a little boring, I think at least had a better arc than... And was a little more interesting than Zack in the first movie. Did they resolve her thing with the... Uh, love interest that was making out with another girl or was that just the end of that plot i feel like that kid gets beat up by a monster later on or something <laughs> and it was like if, oh yeah if, good yeah if you, if you want to call that resolution but she can finally finish her uh, her essay on fear but we were getting a couple sentences of that and i don't know it felt like a bad essay to me guys i feel like if you're going to do something like that like talk about how your personal connection to something like fear you got to bring up details and no way she's going to write about how monsters attacked her town yeah but she'd get a recommendation from rl stein that's true <laughs> i'm sure he has a lot of a lot of sway in the collegiate world that's pretty good oh yeah he's uh, he's, he's very respected among literary types <laughs> Hey, the dude sold 350 million books. It's true. He could he could buy his own university. <laughs> it's also set up to make it seem like she gets in like the next day. Like, <laughs> yeah, the timeline is really confusing. It seems. <laughs> I feel like we had a theory <laughs> that like she sends her her essay out Halloween night. They, she gets the response back in the morning, and then the next day they also put up all the Christmas decorations. <laughs> yeah, because uh, the the other little boy is still staying with them, and at the beginning of the movie, his parents were like, "We'll be gone for three yeah, days." Yeah, what the hell? Does Sam have a family? I, I guess not. Not anymore. They left. They gone. Also, Sam and Sonny won a science award. Yeah, and who gave him a science award? It was Jovial Bob. It was Jovial Bob. Another cameo, wearing the exact same outfit he wore from the first one, but playing a different character, killing it. He's got a couple lines more than Mister Black because he's definitely not Mister Black in this one, right? Yeah, no, he's a different character. He had a different name. He's doing the Stan Lee thing. I, I'm I'm so looking forward to these future Arl Stein uh, uh, movies where we get to see him cameo as different characters. Very excited. Um, so, do you think Goosebumps three will be? Uh... Crazy Christmas. Okay. There's so many options for the third one because there's the ending of this movie. Mm -hmm. The Jumanji ending. So I don't think it's going to be Crazy Christmas to answer your question. (laughs) Yeah, so at the end, uh, we find that Slappy, again, has... We find out the reason why Jack Black's been in this movie the whole time. Yeah. Basically, Slappy didn't get sucked in. And he confronts R.L. Stein, and he takes a book, and he's like, let's see how you feel being in a book for a while. Sucks him into a book, and the movie fucking ends. Downer ending, man. Yeah. <laughs> Super sucked dark. into the book of monsters. It's quite a twist. It's, it doesn't really bode well for the third one either, because it means... I don't know why they would make a third one. Honestly, I'm surprised they made a second one. But if they did make a third one, you're probably also not going to get much Jack Black because it's, you know, the whole movie, you're just searching for him. 
I, I don't know, Colin. I think you could go with either of the Jumanjis. You could go with the we have to okay, go into I the book and bring it back. Or see Jumanji. Jumanji. You could go you could go Jumanji one, Robin Williams Jumanji. Okay, I know that. Where one. Jack Black emerges from the book having been hardened by decades of living he's in He's not there. like a monster hunter. Yeah. He's like Van Helsing. Yeah, he's like, yeah. <laughs> now come on, you wanna see that. Come on. Come on, Colin. No, Colin. I want to see any Colin. scenario in which Jack Black is in the movie a lot, because clearly that was a huge problem with this movie. So sure, yeah, I'd want to see that. I don't know that this movie did well enough, though. For uh, yeah, uh, I don't think it did. I mean, I was yeah. I was I'm looking up. It's, this movie it's got opening a theatrical weekend. release. <laughs> Where do you guys think uh, Goosebumps Two opened up at? Like what spot? On the, on the box office. Oh, I would guess number three. Can you tell me when in the year it came out? It came out the weekend of October 12th to 14th, 2018. 2018. So that's just last year. I can remember last year. Uh, <laughs> I can't. <laughs> Apparently, I don't know. Last hard. year, we would have been watching First Man around that time. Yes. Maybe a Star is Born also. Star you guys are on fire. <laughs> uh, Star is Born was kicking ass. That's got to be number one. You guys, uh, what, about, what was in what its about, opening weekend? What about Bohemian Rhapsody? Uh, I think it came out later. I think that, yeah, okay. I think that's more of a December movie. Maybe late November. Hmm. Well, you know, okay, so I, I will tell you that in, in, this, in this weekend, Star is Born had been out for a while. It's the second week, so it's number two. First Man is number three. Uh, so I'll, yeah, I'll, I'll just tell you Goosebumps. See, so I don't think Goosebumps is number one. That can't Goosebumps be. was number four. Yeah. It opened at four. Do you know what was um, number one? It was its second week. <sighs> it's a movie that turned out to be a much bigger hit than I think we anticipated. And I feel like we're going to get... It's not over. It's, it's absolutely not over. God, this is only a year ago. It's a franchise no one wants. No one's smart wants. <laughs> None of us saw it. That's such a good clue. Oh no! No one's. Smart. It seems like we will at some point, though. Uh, Stars an actor we like, who is uh, who is talented, though. I feel like he hasn't. He's really been proving himself with a lot of projects lately. Not living up to his full potential. Um. Let's see. I think they're already working on another Is this one. Is Venom? Is Venom? Fucking mm. Venom! God damn it! Venom. Fuck it was a you, huge Venom. Huge hit. Fuck you. And they're already working on Venom too. And they're already trying to figure out how we can integrate Venom into Spider-Man or like big Spider-Man into the Venom movies. Yeah, without fucking up the Spider-Man movies. Fuck yeah, dude! Two hundred and thirteen million this, domestic total gross does just anything superhero become a hit these days <laughs> yeah what was it uh, no 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 dark phoenix yeah, is not a hit it's cratered okay so not everything but yeah what the fuck dude venom because now we're at the point where like secondary characters like have a shot like yeah why wouldn't sony think that morbius could work because like venom worked deadpool worked <laughs> anything works i guess it's weird that Suicide Squad made more money than Justice League. It's weird. Era okay. of the villain. So yeah, Goosebumps did not do super well. I think I know what the direction you take Goosebumps 3 in, because I think it was even talked about for this movie to, to be a potential plot. Uh, if you recall, there's a Goosebumps book called Horrorland. 
Hmm. I think Jack Black gets sucked into the book, and maybe some kids get sucked in, or some kids get sucked in, and he meets them in there. Uh, and it's it's Horrorland, a big horror theme park. So more of the Jumanji two style than the Jumanji. Yes, Jumanji two, absolutely. Which is so weird because Jack Black's in Jumanji two. <laughs> Uh, I mean, that yes, sounds better. My problem with this movie is it almost feels more scaled back than the first Goosebumps movie. Like, it almost feels like it's just a slappy movie, basically. I agree. Like, there aren't really any other Goosebumps characters that are even remotely prominent compared to Slappy. So it's like almost they took the route that almost a more obvious Goosebumps movie would be, which would be just adapting one of the books. But for the first Goosebumps movie, they went a little they went a little more creative, which I appreciated. Yeah, this one's like slappy for like an hour. Yeah. <laughs> it's just, yeah, it's a, it's a simplistic, bare-bones thriller of kids facing off against a, a ventriloquist dummy with telepathy. So yeah, disappointing. I I thought that Goosebumps two would work out the kinks, but they went in the wrong direction, and they didn't have Jack Black. So really makes you appreciate Goosebumps one. We're really lucky that we got Goosebumps one, you guys. I mean, that's definitely the reaction I had after watching Goosebumps two. Like the first time, I mean, when I originally watched Goosebumps, I was like, yeah, it's a fun little kids movie. It's this fine way to to waste an evening but after goosebumps to us like you know it's, it's not bad so who is picking our next pick i believe it is my turn i think this was your pick was it not it, it was for some reason i'm afraid yeah. that this is in john's goofs john's goofs oh goofs um these all suck but i'd want to try to keep this tradition even though it's not usually a very interesting segment um Errors in geography. The story takes place in New York State, but in the final scenes with Christmas decorations everywhere, it is obviously still summer. Yeah. <laughs> fucking sucks. Yeah, fucking bullshit, man. They fucked up. Not buying. Even though I, ex- I really wish they they did crazy Christmas. <laughs> Creepy Christmas. Um, so now's the time when I announce the next the pick. And um we're kind of in the awkward, uh, still wrapping up Shocktober stage. This is coming out, uh, you know, the weekend before Halloween, um, and so literally the next episode will be on November first. Mm-hmm. So I didn't want to add something that's like a lot of work, and for some reason, going out and seeing something in the theater feels like less work than streaming something. Um, I so, disagree with that, but continue. <laughs> so my uh, my next pick is something I think everyone's really excited to go see, at least. So maybe that's why it feels like less work. Uh, it's Bong Joon-ho's Parasite, the latest film from the director of The Host and Okia, uh, uh, Mother. Uh, I don't know how much of a horror movie this is. I'm sure it is, at the very least, a social satire. So let's all go see that movie and then meet up again and talk about it. All right. Well, that concludes this episode of The Pick. Um, If you want to catch up with all our Shocktober reviews, you can head on over to mildlypleased.com. We're we're almost at the end of the month, Uh, you know, hitting the home stretch. 
I, I don't know. I'm sure I'm not as tired and weary as John is. It seems like we gave him a heavy load as as usual, but it's been fun catching oh, up know, with stuff. All, all, all I have to say is, uh, listeners, beware. You're in for a scare.